I start Parshas Vayakil. Parshas Vayakil Pekudeh. So um, the Parshas starts with Vayakil Moshe as Kol Adas Bnei Yisrael Vayomar Aleim. Moshe gathered together all the congregation of Bnei Yisrael and he said to them, Eila Hadvarim Asher Tziva Hashem Lasso. So some these are the things that Hashem has commanded you to do. Shish Yamim Teyasa Malacha Vayom Ashvi Yelacham Shabbos Kodesh Shabbos 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 Hashem Kol Zevom Malacha Yumas. You got to keep Shabbos. Then it says Lo Svaru Eish Bechomos Vosechem Yom Shabbos. You shouldn't burn a fire. In any of your Moshevos, any dwellings of yours on Shabbos itself. So, in any of your dwellings on the day of Shabbos. So, Hilchah Shabbos are always very complicated. I mean, you can look through all these things, and you really don't understand how Aish works. How I know Aish Mishim Chitzav Yishim Mishim Amon. I said I wasn't going to get into that, even though we're in the sugi right now in Baba Kama. But uh, I mean, it's a big question. Like, what, does Aish include electricity? Does that include electricity? Does it include something that we consider to be lights nowadays? Is that considered an Aish, or is that not considered an Aish? So the way it was originally, it was the original Aish, right? Because the, the way they used to have the filaments and everything like that. But the way with fluorescence work and everything. Like that, does that work? Does that not work? Okay, so there's a bit of a kasha with that. Los sevaru eish bechomosh vosechem. The last letters are aleph vav lamed mem. Aleph vav shin lamed mem is altogether the gemash of chashmal. Chashmal. It's a little bit off. Aleph and vav is seven instead of eight. It's a little bit. It's a little bit off on the chashmal. You're off by one. But uh, the balaturim brings that down. That uh, the balaturim. I'm sorry, he didn't have chashmal in his times. The miamloes. There's a note of the miamloes in which they bring that down. That uh, there's a certain miamloes mentioned in uh, Megillus Esther on page Lamed Vav that seems to be that the rabbanim in the times of the 12th century had the ability to make electric lights. It's a very very strange little miamloes. And the notes bring down this Say the chashmal was awesome. It's a very, very strange thing. We're not going to go into that. Instead, I decided we're going into smoking. We're not going to mention why it's usser, or the lack thereof, that it's never been stated that it's usser, just that it's usser to start, but when you already smoke, it's not usser to keep going. But we will say the Minchas Yudah says there were people at the time of the Minchas Yudah, Rabbi Yudah Pataya, around the turn of the century, is a Talmud of the Ben Ishchai, who, uh, who said that, uh, listen, we can smoke on Shabbos because it's not a tircha. There's no bother on Shabbos. You're not doing doing anything. You're not really burning anything. It's just, it's, there's no bother involved in it, so why can't we do it? So the Minchas Yudah said back to him, the Minchas Yudah said back to him, listen, the definition of resting on Shabbos is based on you not smoking on Shabbos. Why? Because what does Shabbos mean? What does Shabbos mean? Literally, how would you translate it? Somebody came up to you and said, how do you translate Shabbos? What do you translate that as? Rest. Rest. What everybody says, right? Rest this is the day of rest. But it's not. That's not what it means. Because what was a Kaddish Baruch Hu doing? A Kaddish Baruch Hu do, wasn't working. He, he wasn't like Mr. Builderman for six days of creation, like taking a hammer and like hammering together and like working everything together and like sawing, you know, and getting everything. It, that's not how he did it. A Kaddish Baruch Hu said some words or said something or made the world come into being without any work whatsoever. So when he rested on Shabbos, he rested from not doing any work. So that doesn't mean that he rested because he wasn't doing anything to begin with. He stopped doing what he had done beforehand, which didn't have any work. So Mechaz Yudah said, for you guys to stop doing work on Shabbos is not the right translation. That's not what God did. What God did was he stopped doing what's not considered work. He stopped doing that. So smoking, which would be something that you consider not work, stopping that on Shabbos would be a perfect definition of what Shabbos is there for, to replicate what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did during the seven days of 
creation. That would be the perfect example. And therefore, we told him you guys have to stop. Since we went into that, I decided to go on a side point. And we might as well go into uh, where the idea of smoking comes from. So I found this in the Time Ibn Hagen page, Kuf Beis. Time Ibn Hagen page, Kuf Beis says, what's the shot behind smoking? Why do we smoke? Where's the, where does that idea come from? Wait, he, he says this is a minhag that we smoke. Well, they, say, they say the following. The Time Ibn Hagen says, the Baal Shem Tov had a story like this. Now, there was a Talmud davening in the base matter. He was davening in the base matter. While he was davening, he dropped his pipe, and the pipe fell on the ground. Apparently, he was smoking while he was davening. He dropped his pipe on the ground, and during his Shimon Esrei, he bent down to pick up the pipe and put it back inside his mouth. So another Talmud that was sitting in the base matter saw him do that during his Shimon Esrei. I was like, what, what is that guy doing? How in the world could he have bent down in the middle of his Shimon Esrei to pick up his pipe and put it back in his mouth? What in the world is he doing that for? How could he do that? That's so wrong. It's completely wrong. And he said, that's the most wrong thing I've seen before. And I'm, I'm very upset at that guy. There was an accusation in Shemayim. A massive Kitruk in Shemayim. Huge accusation that went out against that guy. And they said, how could this guy do such a thing? So in Shemayim, they put out a death warrant on this guy. So the Baal Shem Tov also happened to be davening at that time. And the Baal Shem Tov said, like, saw with his co-host, he saw that something had happened to one of his Talmidim, to one of his students. And he realized that something had happened. And he tried getting up there to try to figure out what was it that he did. Nobody would tell him. None of the Malachim up there, none of the Olamos up there that he was in were able to tell him. So he went into it and into it. And finally, he found somebody that said he did something wrong when it came to his Shimon Esrei. He was accused by another person down there. If that guy is Danim, Lachafskos, gives him a good reason for what he was doing, then... Shemayim will take away the Kitra. Shemayim will take away that accusation and everything will be okay. So Baal Shem Tov, while he was still davening, brought himself down and started to think to himself, why in the world did they come up with this idea of smoking tobacco? Where did that come from? So he ended up coming up with this idea. The idea is there are certain things that can only be Mila. There are certain sparks of Kedusha that can only be raised up to Shemayim and brought up to the proper levels by doing certain things to them. That's why by animals chewing their cud, by animals chewing their cud. The reason why they have to chew their cud is to bring the little grasses that are inside there, anything that might be in there, the kedusha that might be in there, you chew it up and up and up until it becomes very, very dark, very thin and very small. Then sometimes it needs to be even worked through a little bit more. So they have to regurgitate it, take it back in, and make it even thinner and thinner and smaller until finally they're able to get all that kedusha to the point where it's supposed to be. And that's when they take it all out and they give it over to whoever, you know, they give it over to wherever it's supposed to be, to the next level the next highest level. Tobacco is very, very thin. So it says the Baal Shem Tov, that the Pshapian tobacco is that the only way to raise these certain sparks of Kedusha within the tobacco is by smoking them. By smoking them, bring them out. By bringing them out into the world. Apparently they've been taken away from these tobaccos because we're not allowed to use tobacco anymore. But maybe that's the reason why they won't well, say it's us. Grass, by, by grass also. Yeah, 100%. It doesn't mean that it's going to be much to do. But there's still an idea of that raising the Kedusha to a certain level. That's not the reason why it's mutter. But that's enough of a Don that's a reason to say, oh, that's why this guy was doing it. In the middle of Shimon Esrei, he realized that he was raising up a certain neshama or a certain kedusha that was within that tobacco that he was that he was smoking. And because of that, as soon as it fell out of his mouth, he said, oy vey, the tobacco is not going to get the kedusha that it needs. So he reached down on the ground and pulled it up in order to bring the kedusha back. Now, obviously, that is way off base. The guy dropped his, his, his what's called his pipe and he just wanted to pick it up. But all he needed was a dan l'chav He just needed that l'chav just to be down on l'chav and 
every all the kitrugim, all the accusations would have gone away because it would have been down on the chaskos and shemayim because this guy was a tremendous talent. So the Baal Shem Tov put that idea into the other guy's head, the other guy who was watching the guy. That guy who was watching the person who picked up the pipe thought about that and said, "Oh, maybe that's the reason why." And all of a sudden, everything was all okay. So that's, the, that, that's where they come out with that uh, that little idea, and they say that it connects. The rest of it makes sense. The rest of it is like, oh, fine and dandy. I'm good with all that. <laughs> like, if that's your only problem, I'm good on this one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I have to answer that. So either way, but there's at the very, very end, they say there's some shop behind the Katoris as well. There's certain things that only have to have a tiny little bit, but that tiny little bit needs a little bit of Kedusha. There's something called the Maile Asha. And it's one of the things that they didn't have in the midboard by the Katoris, but eventually they would. By the base of Mikdash, they were going to get this Maile Asha. Maile Asha is a certain type of grass that makes the smoke of that grass, when it burns that grass, go straight up. Goes straight up. It doesn't turn to the side. Some of the Amorayim said, we saw it, we've seen it do this thing. And one person said that he was searching through, I think it's in Yuma, where he says, a guy was standing on the grass and he started laughing. And another person asked him, why are you laughing? And he said, because I just saw the Maila Asham, but I'm not allowed to tell you where it is because my family made me promise not to tell anybody who it is, where it is. There's a Maila Asham. This thing called the Maila Asham. That Maila Asham is called, we say it every day in our Pitama Kadoras, it says Kolshu. The Maila Asham is only a Kolshu. All you need is a tiny little bit. The idea behind it is that all the Kedusha needs is a tiny little bit so you put inside the Ketoros and that's good enough and all you need is for that to happen and that little bit of Kedusha is good enough to make it raise up so it does connect to our Parsha somewhat so it's not just all the way out there anyway there's another famous Machlokas as long as you're thinking smoke does this mean that that's something else that's commonly smoked no there's two types there's a masculine and the feminine the one that they were smoking was the masculine which has the same effect as tobacco but not the feminine, which actually gives off some type of whatever. It's a different type of yeah, it's a different type of thing. The reason why they're calling cannabis is for that reason. Yeah, they're, they're, whatever. By the way, another famous machlokas brought up by the Shar. No, don't worry. By, brought up by the Shar Mitzvah Balacha is also brought up about Shabbos. It's a famous question, but you know, if we're going into Shabbos, we might as well ask these questions because when else are you going to ask them? If you're in the army. And you have to do malacha every single day. You have to do work every single day while you're in the army. You have no way of getting out of it. So it's an army in which you didn't have a choice. You didn't put yourself in the army. You got it's in the Russian army. You have to do work every single day. So you're sitting there, you're doing work every single day. That day happens to be the king's birthday. The day happens to be the king's birthday. And you're allowed to take a day off. It's Friday. Should you take that day off or should you wait until Shabbos and take Shabbos off? Because the fact is, if you take off Friday, you'll be able to work film. You'll be able to have meals. You'll be able to have certain mitzvahs saving your eyes. like you'll be able to bench. You'll be able to have certain things. But if you take off Shabbos, that means you won't work on Shabbos. You only get one chance and you could pick either day. Should you take that first day or should you take Shabbos? It's famous machlokas. So the famous answer is the Radvaz in Chelek Dalit Simen Yud Gimel. It says that the first mitzvah that you get into your hands, don't delay. As soon as you have a chance to do a mitzvah, for example, putting on tefillin, even though it would be a greater mitzvah to be able to keep Shabbos, so the first mitzvah that can come into your hands, if you can take today off and wear tefillin, do it right then. Says the Ravaz, and plus you have to worry, maybe they'll take it back. Who knows, maybe they're going to take it back by the next day. You never know. 
know. So therefore, you should take the chance, never take the chance, I'm sorry, rather take it as soon as you can, take that day off and take Friday off and just do, as long as you're not mitzvah say deal right, so that you can do, like wearing tefillin or something like that, go ahead and do it, that's the best thing that you could possibly do. But the Chacham Tzvi argues, he says it depends. If you're over on Durabanans every week, you're only over on Durabanans, Malachas deal right, Malachas Midurabanan, that's the only thing you're over on, then you should take Friday off. Then I agree with the Radvaz, you should only take Fridays off. But if you're over on Malachas deal right, so, if you have to do certain malachas that are mamish deal reisa on Shabbos, in other words, you walk 2,000 amos outside of a city, you have otza. If you have to, aside from carrying, if you have to really work, like you're nailing in nails on Shabbos, you're doing t- some type of a tikkun, any other thing that you can think of, if you're peeling potatoes or doing stuff like that, borer, token, anything like that, if you're doing any of those, then he says, for sure you should take Shabbos off. The Chamsvi says that you should take Shabbos off. So that's the Machlokas, Ridvaz, and the Chachamsvi. The Mogin Avram, in Chavhei Beis, in Orachai, in Paskins like the Radvaz, and the Gra Paskins like the Chacham Tzvi. They give a bit of a raya to the Radvaz from a Rashi and Sukkah on Daf Chavhei Manalaf. The Rashi and Sukkah on Chavhei Manalaf says, a mitzvah kala should not be docha, should not be pushed off from a mitzvah chamura, from a bigger mitzvah if it's done later on. If you can do a mitzvah kala right now, if you can do a small mitzvah, you shouldn't push it off for a bigger mitzvah that you have later on. And the idea, the lesson behind that is tremendous. Even the Chacham Tzvi agrees with it in theory, but the lesson is tremendous. If you have a possibility of doing a mitzvah right now, but if you push it off, you might be able to do a mitzvah. I mean, you could, it's very likely you'll be able to do a bigger mitzvah later. According to the Radvaz, and according to what the, the Magin Avram is saying, how the Magin Avram Paskins, you should always do that mitzvah right then, even though there's a possibility of doing a greater mitzvah later. Even though there's a greater possibility of you doing... Uh, it, there's a greater mitzvah that could be out there. Still, do the mitzvah that comes into your hands right then, because you never know what's going to happen. And a mitzvah boliado, al-tach Never push it off. Never push it off. It's a tremendous lesson to treat every mitzvah as if this is the Iker mitzvah. Because who knows? Maybe you'll go up to Shemaim and a Kaddish Baruch will look at you and be like, Kevin, remember the mitzvah that you didn't do because you thought you were going to have a bigger mitzvah later? Your whole purpose in life was to do that one little mitzvah. Way to go. <laughs> it's going to stink. I, I don't want to be there at that time. I don't want to be behind Kevin and be like, <laughs> you don't want to be that guy right behind him. But the idea is supposed to be a tremendous idea. I remember, I think it was my, um, I think, oh, I shouldn't say who it is. Anyway, somebody that I was close to told me that this idea made them uh, decide to become from. This idea decided to, they decided to become from because of this. Seize the mitzvah? Seize the mitzvah, the first mitzvah that comes into your hand. So don't push it off. Don't push it off at all. Like the logical way, I guess, carpe diem, right? Seize the day and whatever. But it's even more than seize the day. Seize the mitzvah. You know, like do that thing that's right there in front of you so you don't have to worry about, and I know, it could be you know that something's coming up next. But to do everything right then, that a Kaddish what's more important is the thing that you have at that moment. Who cares what's going to be in 10 minutes from now? Right now, what am I supposed to do? That's the idea. And to end off, we'll just go with an Ibn Ezra since we're talking about Shabbos anyway. Ibn Ezra is a famous Ibn Ezra. That quote, it's not specifically here, but the Miyam Loeis brings down the story of Ibn Ezra over here. He says there's a special malach for all the food that you have on Shabbos. That malach is out there and all the good food that you have, he writes it down on a certain safer. He writes down like what you had for that meal. You know, like you have a, like, a list of meal, like oh, they had cranberry apple kogol and they had potato kogol and they had shawans and chicken and this and whatever. And they write it all down and then he sends it in front of a Kaddish Baruch so that they see how much you were ma'anig the Shabbos. And the more you were ma'anig Shabbos, that malach argues for you. The more things you have on Shabbos, he argues for you. He does things for you when you go up, go up to Shemayim Lasset Lavo, you know, after 120. He sits
sits there and he tells you, he tells the Baruch listen, this guy made this and this and this and this. Well, not him, his wife. And, but you <laughs> got all these things and he had all these, he did all this Onik Shabbos, give him a little bit extra because of that. And the Baruch gives the husband and wife a little bit extra because of everything they do over there. So, and that makes it like a korban. It makes it like a korban to a Baruch like a sacrifice that you're making. The amount of money that you're spending for the Shabbos seems like a korban bringing you up another level in front of a Baruch So the Ibn Ezra dreamt about that Malach, says the Miam Loez. He dreamt about the Malach. He had a dream with that Malach. But the Malach was not looking so good. The Ibn Ezra saw him and the Malach like, turned to him and the Malach looked very, very angry. So Ibn Ezra asked him, he said, what, what's wrong? And the Malach said, you're not keeping Shabbos correctly. You're not keeping Shabbos correctly. The Ibn Ezra was like, what in the world? What could I have possibly done? So he woke up in a sweat and he said, what in the world? What could this be? He went back to sleep and right afterward, he got the Malach again. The Malach said to him, you're not doing it correctly. So the Ebenezer said to him, what am I not doing correctly? He says, you're a kofer and you have kfira in your house. This is the Ebenezer. The Ebenezer was sitting there like, what in the world? How could this possibly be? So he found out a little bit more information. The Malach told him there was a safer in his house that had kfira in it. And because it was inside his house, it was being metami the entire household. Being Matami, the Tsutumo was going throughout the entire household. So Ibn Ezra woke up and immediately went through, went to his study to find all his farm. And he went through all his farm and he tried to look through and he's like, there's a Kamara, this is this, this, whatever. Finally, he sees there's a new box of farm on the ground full of different farm that a certain person had written. And he looked at one of the farm and he looked at it. And the very first thing he wrote, he, the very first thing in the Sefer was Yoma Bayera Vayivoker Yoma Shishi. And the guy went on a long drusha explaining how Shabbos really should be from morning until the next morning. That really Shabbos doesn't start the night before. That really, Lafi the Torah, it starts from the day until the next day. That Shabbos morning starts Shabbos and it doesn't end until Sunday morning. That was the whole guy's dread. That's what the guy was darshaning inside the Sefer. Now, it's funny because the Rashbam says something extremely similar. <laughs> Rashbam Abrashis has a very, very similar approach. That Vayir Vayivoker is out of order and he goes to a whole different type of an approach because it says Vayihi Or, that Or was created before Choshech. First there was light, then there was Choshech. And the Rashbam has this basic idea of light being before dark in the first seven days of creation it was day before night but there's a hope shot behind the Rashbam but the Ibn Ezra saw that as pure kfira and he said it was Friday night it was Friday night when he did this and it was now Shabbos morning already he found that that was the kfira so Yamaloi says a big chiddish the Ibn Ezra saw that that was such kfira he tore the book in half and threw it into a fire threw it into a fire on Shabbos Zapala. and that Mote Shabbos he started writing a safer to debunk all these terrible theories that people had come out with as to how this could be or whatever all trying to destroy everything that all these people were saying in their books they were saying fear that they were saying api courses he tried destroying every single thing that was the safer Ibn Ezra al Torah they started writing that safer Ibn Ezra al Torah all based on that dream that he had had that night based on that malach that he saw which is the malach macho which is what the miyam always brings down in this, this week's parsha. Okay, that was that. Now let's get into the actual parsha. <laughs> let's get into the parsha itself. Pasik in it says very early in the parsha it says the nashim came with the nashim. I didn't write down the pasik. I'm not so sure why, but the pasik is right after Rishon Shibi. They brought it all down. The men came on top of the woman. Anybody who's generous at the heart. They brought all these things. So everybody asks, what, what does that mean? 
the men came on top of the woman? What does that mean? So they say that Al is Imhanashim, with the woman. What is it? The, what, are they like dancing together? Like arm in arm, running to the Mishkan, frolicking through the fields before they came over and they gave over their stuff to the Mishkan? Like what in the world are they doing when we're saying the men with the woman? Well, why do we care? What does it matter that the men were coming with the woman? What, do we, what does it matter for that? So do you guys have an answer for it? Everybody was included in the festivities. 100% everybody was included. There's no question everybody was included. But that's not something that the Torah needs to tell us. He's be like, you know, just Jack. There was no one else. <laughs> There's no one else there. So what else is it? So it's just a men's cult. That's what you're going to thought. There's got to be something more than that. So there is a Gemara, the famous Gemara, that Sforno brings down, that in order to take large amounts of money from women for tzedakah, the men have to be masking. So the woman wanted to give large amounts of their jewelry. In order for them to give their jewelry, the men had to be masculine. So therefore, the men had to come with the woman so that the woman's gifts would be accepted. Another way of looking at it, the Be'er Besada and the Kliyakar both say, that what was the reason, what happened before this? The men came to the woman before for the Cheda Egel, and they asked for all the gold. What did the woman say? No, like, no we're not the giving anything to Rabbi The only gold they had left was the women. Now, no, more than that. Now the men came back and said to the woman, okay, we want to bring gold again. The woman were like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, we remember this. There's no way we're letting you go on your own. So the woman walked with the men, and the woman went in front to go see what's going on here, to go see, to make sure that they weren't doing it for any, Ill, uh, any improper purposes. So they went ahead with them. Another answer that they both give is that really, the only reason why they brought anything for the Mishkan was a kapar for the Egel Azov. They brought gold for the Egel Azov. They should bring gold for the Mishkan. It's the same way they brought gold for that. They should bring gold for this. So it's supposed to be a kapara. Who needed that kapara? Only the men. But the men were embarrassed because that would prove to everyone that they brought gold for the Egel Azov. So none of the men who brought gold, they sort of like put their hands in their pockets and were just like, I don't know, I don't think I'm going to go. So the woman got up there and the woman started bringing. We know that the woman didn't do anything. So as soon as the woman started bringing, the men were like, oh, if she can give, then I can give because nobody's going to suspect me anymore. So they came behind their wives. There was the woman that came with the men right behind them in order to go ahead and bring this. But I saw an awesome, awesome shot this year from the Meshachachma. Ela Elohecha Yisrael. These are your gods, O Israel, in plural. But they only pointed at the Egel Azov, right? So what did they mean? So we said this out last week in Parshish Kislisa, but it's just, it finally hit me from this Meshachachma. They wanted, they wanted, according to one opinion, they wanted to have little gods on them at all times. They remembered in Mitzrayim, they all had these little gods that they stuck inside their pockets, they put inside their, they hung around their necks. They all had these little gods that whenever they needed anything, they would just take them out, rub them, go, oh, it's alabu. And then afterward, they would get whatever they needed. That's not really what they daven for. But they would go, whatever they would need, they would be able to have it on them at all times. They'd always have a little gold god right on them. Our Arab Rav had convinced them that that was worth having. So thus, even though they only brought certain amounts of gold for the Egel Azov, and that Egel Azov came up and they started worshipping or whatever, there were other pieces of gold that they designated to become little Egels for them to carry around them at all times. There were Makzet. They made that gold already Muksa Lavodizara. Gold that's Muksa Lavodizara, you can't use for your own benefit. You can't do your own thing with it. You're not allowed to. So the Meshachachma says, the old shot behind this is similar. I think you said, who just said that it was the woman's gold? It was the woman's gold. Ken? It was the exact same... it was the exact same thing over here. The Meshachach was saying the whole reason why they brought it is because all the men's gold was already muktza. And even though they didn't know which one, they weren't sure which gold they meant to be the ones to be given over to the Mishkan. They couldn't give that gold. So the only gold they could bring was the gold that belonged to the woman. Therefore the Anashim had to come along with the Anashim because the only gold they could bring was the gold that was on the women themselves. Only 
the gold that the women were carrying, that the women had on them, because everything else was a chash, a chashad, a suspicion that maybe it was muksa for Avodah That's a great shot. That is a really, really good shot, and works out with the thing that we had last time. Why didn't anyway, they just leave it there. What are they going to do with this gold? With what? Why are they carrying it around still? The Muxal Avodazara gold? Yeah, they haven't looked so, anywhere yet. But but also say there's, a way, there's a way of getting rid of Muxal Avodazara gold. You can't give it to the Mishkan. It can't be made Kadosh. But what you can do is you can chop off a little piece of it or scrape off a little piece of it, be mevatel it, you know, be mevatel it a little bit, and then you can take away the the Huxa, the, the Muxal Avodazara. Still shouldn't give it to the Mishkan because it's disgusting. You were going to give that to Avodazara, now you're giving it to the Mishkan? Sounds disgusting. But you could use it for your own purposes. They were still able to use it for their own purposes. Okay. I also say that the the men took from the women? The men took from the women. Oh, 100%. Well, no. It says they grabbed it by Yisporku. By Yisporku, what does it say? Uh, what's the wording? It means from their own ears. That's the wording. Where is it? Uh, oh, no. no. Where is it? Here we go. Take out the golden earrings that are in the ears of your, your wives, your children, and bring it to me. That were in their ears. The wording is actually their own ears. Yeah, they took their own as opposed to anybody else. Now, Chafei and Chavav are also really weird. You look at Chafei, the Holy Isha, number one, it's in singular form. Every woman, Chachma slave who was wise of the heart. I love that, by the way. We're going to get to that a little bit later, but like, the little engine that could. I have a heart. <laughs> the lave is throughout the parsha. It's crazy. Tavu, in her hands she's spun. By view Matva, and they brought this spun objects to uh, the to the Mishkan. Then after when Chavav, all the women who lifted their now Nashim is in plural that lifted their hearts in wisdom Tavu was the Ezim they spun the goats so first of all it's one after the other they spun one they spun the other it's not that big of a deal what's the difference between the two psukim and why switch it off from an Isha in the first Pasuk to Nashim in the second Pasuk so Happens to be a good board. It's Shabbos Ayin Dawin but it's explained by the Ben Ishchai and the Tiferes and Rabbi and Ayishis. They both say the following. How do I start this off? Nidas. A person who's, need, who's in Nida, a woman who's in Nida, who's bleeding, if there was such a thing in the midbar, remember we said that there was an opinion that there were no such thing as Nida in the midbar, that they didn't bleed at all while they were in the midbar. But if Nida did exist in the midbar, anything they touch will become Tameh. So they wouldn't be able to make any, they wouldn't be able to touch a Chomish, they wouldn't be able to touch anything that they were spinning, because what would happen? It would immediately become Tameh. Could he give that to the Mishkan? Absolutely not, it was Tameh. So they weren't able to do anything with it. So they weren't able to give anything over, they wouldn't be able to give anything over. But, Animals, live animals, are not Makabaltuma. You can touch a dog all you want, you won't be Matami the dog. You can touch an animal all you want, but you won't be Matami the animal. So therefore, when they spun, the Nidas, who wanted to donate something to the Besa Mikdash, to the Mishkan, if they wanted to spin something, they couldn't just spin anything. They couldn't just spin in, uh, you know, a little skin or something like that. Because if they spun the skin, they would have made a tummy. So what did they do? They spun the wool while it was still on the sheep. 
which is a tremendous chachma. I mean, I've never spun anything before in my life, <laughs> but I'm assuming for those people who do spin, that spinning on top of a live sheep is not going to be the easiest thing in the world to do. I'm assuming that that's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to do. Thus, but they also knew that the men needed a kapara, not for them. They didn't need the kapara. The men were the ones who needed the kapara. They didn't need to give it over to the mishkan. So what they did was they spun it on top of the sheep, and then they left it for the men, for the men to cut it off at the very end, and then bring it to the mishkan. So that the men would have the gemar ma'isa, the end ma'isa, and they would be bringing it in. So it looked like the men did the act, the act of giving, and thus they get the kapara, not the women themselves. And the women themselves did something that was absolutely crazy. Says the Meshachachma, that's the difference between the Pesukim. The first Pesuk says, Bechol Isha, some of the women, the ones who weren't in Nida, they, they were Chachma slave. They really wanted to do something. So, The stuff that was already died. Stuff that was already separated from the animal. That stuff, were the Nidas able to touch? No! So who was going to take care of those? The, the pure woman. The woman who weren't in Nida. Those people would be able to use these. But the next part, all the women, even the women who were in Nida, who were tremendously wise and knew how to do this sort of a thing, they spun the goats. They spun the goats themselves. It's a tremendous Chachma. That's the idea behind those Supsukim, and thus they're not a steer whatsoever. Alright. Was it not Sarbal Echaim? Sarbal is only when you have Kavana in order to give pain to the animal. This time they didn't have Kavana to give pain. For example, I'll just give an example with my own. I take, I take crickets. I take crickets and I feed it to a lizard. Um, it's, I, I have a lizard, spotted, a leopard gecko's named Spotty. So I take crickets and I feed them inside. Now in order to get them full of calcium, in order to make Spotty feel a little bit better, you got to put them inside like a little container. I use like a bottle thing, you know, like one of those bottle things. And I put them inside there. I don't use the bottle otherwise. And then afterward, uh, I put the crickets inside, put the calcium deposit on the bottom, and just shake it. And then afterward, they get all like white and everything, and then I pour them inside, and they're like totally out of it, and they're like spaced out and whatever, and Spotty goes and eats them really quickly before they're able to jump around. I have one cricket inside that's making a lot of noise. I'm ready to kill him. But either way, that's what I do. There's no issue of Tzar Balechaim, because I don't mean, I don't intend to knock down the crickets. I couldn't care less about the crickets, but that's just the way the way you have to do it. So as long as you don't have an intention to give pain to the actual animal, PETA shouldn't come after you. All right, that's number one. Bitsalo is a big issue. Bitsalo is a big issue. I'm not not better than anything, but Betzalo is a big issue. Yalku Ruveni says that his neshama was from a special olam above the top mazalos, and thus within his family there was enough shefa to be able to give birth at the age of eight. Betzalo ben Uri ben Chur, Chur gave birth at the age of eight. Uri gave birth at the age of eight. Betzalo gave birth at the age of thirteen. I mean, come on. Flagging off, you know, readers adoras, you have to say, right? But Betzalo was the creator of the Mishkan at the age of thirteen, also, which is extremely impressive. I I wouldn't hold that back down from you know on him, but uh, either way, his neshama was from a very very high, a very very high level in Shemayim, which he was able to do kochos that we can only imagine. Now there's more. We know that Hur was Moser nefesh for the ego. We know he's Moser nefesh for the ego. Now when you're Moser nefesh for something, I, I, this happens in almost every Gemara. This is going to be a little bit of a power. But when you're Moser nefesh for something, again a meshachachma from the Or Sameach, this is exa- in order to be Moser nefesh, you can't think about it. Don't 
think about what you're doing. Because if you really think about what you're doing, if you go and you figure out, like, wait a second, should I really give up my life for HaKadosh Baruch right now? Does God really want me to give up my life? Well, let's think. There's a Gemara and this and whatever. You're never going to give up your life. You're never going to give it up. Stop from the fact that the people that you do inside your head may take you hours or days. So therefore, the whole time, oh, all right, fine, I'll kill myself. <laughs> that was six days ago. <laughs> like, there's no reason to do it now. But aside from that, it's just once you start thinking about something, your mind is going to automatically find you excuses as to why you shouldn't kill yourself and be most nefesh for whatever it is. You think, well, it's not really Shasa Shmad. Well, it's not really murder what this guy wants me to do. It's just somewhat murder. It's not really murder. It's nothing like that. You know, there's just all these things where you, you think to yourself and you don't want to do it. Hur did not think about what he wanted to do. Well, as soon as the people started doing the Egel Azov, he immediately got up and was most nefesh to start the, stop the Egel Azov. He did it in the wrong way. Akash Baruch let him be killed. But Hur went out and he was most nefesh, went out thinking about it whatsoever, without thinking about anything whatsoever. Nachshon Aminat Ben Aminadav did it in the right way, jumped into the Yamsu, even though it made no sense. Nachshon Aminadav just jumped into the Yamsu, kept going, kept walking all the way, even past to where he was now drowning in the sea. And that's when the sea split completely. And Nachshon was able to live. Nachshon himself was most nefesh to do everything he could. Rebbe Akiva himself, his Talmud said to him, Rebbe, you can get out of this in so many ways. All you have to do is say certain shameless of HaKadosh Baruch you can get out of this. You won't have to die. Rebbe Kiva said, no, I have to die. There's certain times when you're most nefesh where you just forget about everything else. Don't think about it. Just go ahead and do it. Mida Kenegemida, Hur, who's the grandfather of Betzalo, didn't think and was most nefesh. So what did HaKadosh Baruch do? Vayimale Oso, Beruach Chachma, Bina, Das, Vechol Malacha. He gave him everything that he needed in order to figure out how to do the Malacha. The Mida Kenegemida, he didn't use Chachma, was Moser Nefesh, therefore Hur will be born with a tremendous amount of Chachma. He'll have a tremendous amount of Chachma inside him to make up for the lack of Chachma that Hur used when the ego happened. Now, there's another thing involved. Because Hur gave up his life for Avodah Zarah, to not let Avodah Zarah happen, to not allow Avodah Zarah to happen, within Bitsala, he saw his own grandfather be killed because a bunch of pe- because of a bunch of people that were worshipping Avodah Zarah. Automatically within him, he's going to have a perfect aversion to Avodah Zarah. He's going to have it naturally within him. He will hate those people that worship the Bodhisattva. Those people that killed my grandfather, I hate them. I can't stand them. Thus, within him, it'll be impossible to have any machshava of a Bodhisattva. Because any little thought that'll have a Bodhisattva, he'll immediately kick out of his mind. He'll be like, how can I think of such things? They killed my grandfather. How can I ever want to do something like that? By anybody else who was always a suffix, maybe, maybe, maybe in the back of his mind, he'll be thinking about something like the eagle of. He'll be thinking about something that he had learned in Mitzrayim. He'll think about something and he'll do the work and he'll mess it up completely. He'll ruin it. But Betzalel, we weren't worried whatsoever. Betzalel was the only person in all of Klau Yisrael, aside from obviously Moshe Rabbeinu and maybe even Aaron, who we didn't have a suffix, would never have even one little pnea toward going to Avodah Zarah. By the way, even Moshe Rabbeinu, even Moshe, I shouldn't have said that, even Moshe Rabbeinu had a tiny little bit of a pnea for Avodah Zarah. He looked at himself after the Eagles of and realized that even within him, there was a little bit. And his grandson worshipped the Vodazar. Yonasam ben Gershom ben Menashe is Yonasam ben Gershom ben Moshe. His grandson went off to Pesel Micha later on. Moshe Rabbeinu saw within himself that he had that be- tiny, tiny, tiny little Shemitz. He was able to knock it down, throw it down, smack it around a little bit and like keep it inside his heart. But it still was there. There was that tiny little bit there. But Salo, because of what happened to his grandfather, was one of the only people in Klai Yisrael who would never ever be able to have that Pnea. He would never be able to turn to that way. And 
and thus it's called a Malachas Machsheves. That's a real pshat, and that's why only he, it says, by Yas only Bitsalo made the Aaron over anybody else. And it doesn't say that by any other thing. It only says it by the by the Aaron itself. Why? Because only Bitsalo was able to get out there and be able to do the Aaron Kodesh by himself. Why? Because anybody else, you never know what kind of machshavos. This Aaron Kodesh, which holds the Luchos and the broken Luchos, and is in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, which the Kohen Gadol isn't even really able to look at. Look at. No human being can go look at this Aaron Kodesh. Nobody's allowed to see it, which is going to be Ganus after, after 360 years in the first base of Mikdash, and after 480 years in the Mishkan, the Aaron was Ganus, and we've never seen it until now. I mean, yeah, I know Indiana Jones won looking for it, but everybody else, nobody's seen that Aaron Kodesh. The level of Kedusha that's on that Aaron Kodesh, Bitsalo had to make it with such pure Makshava, any thought that would have been a little bit off. Like, all of a sudden, he's like, what am I going to have for dinner? Oh, man! <laughs> that one little thought will mess up the entire thing that's going to have to start all over. And remember, by the way, the gold was not just some gold. Every piece of gold that they had was so refined that a thousand kikar of Zahav became one kikar of Zahav that they used for the, for the Mishkan. It was refined so much that they lost 999 kikar of gold, that's a tremendous amount, of gold, for every one kikar of gold, so it was so pure, so unbelievably pure, it was absolutely unbelievable gold, that gold was so unreal, that Bitsalo didn't have too many chances to, you know, to go ahead. Why just, not what the heck? What? Why it's a good question. We don't know anything about Uri. We know nothing about Uri. That's a very, very good question. It could be that we Bidavka picked Bitsalo because he wasn't married yet. That might be another issue. I don't know what the issue is with Bitsalo and Uri Ben-Hur. We know Uri was married, we don't know about Bitsalo. But, uh, that's the Pshat behind the Sod, behind the Aron Kodesh. And that's why it's called the Malachas Machshavas. And that got is into the whole thing. Chokham Lev, throughout the Parsha. What is with this Chokham Lev? Everybody's Chokham Lev. Everybody's a Lev. We got the heart inside here. Why do you need the heart? Because you need to make sure that your heart has no other thoughts when you're doing something for the base of Mikdash, for the Mishkan. The woman, the woman were Chokhmah slave. They were able to spin everything. Because did they have any Shash to go to the Ego Azov? No. Chas Vishon. They wouldn't go anywhere near the ego is up. They said to the men, get out of here. We don't want to see you. Those women were perfectly fine. They didn't have any problems that the chokmah slave that they had within them, that their hearts were pure without any problems whatsoever. That's by the woman. Certain people were able to get that also and only those people were allowed to work. And really, that's the Pshapian everywhere in Parshish Bakude where it says Moshe. By everything. 18 times it says and they made this Moshe, like God commanded Moshe. They created this just like God created Mo- commanded Moshe. They created this, just like God commanded Moshe. Ah, good call. 18 times. Why does it have to say, why not just say what the Baal Shem Tavest, why not put Kashat Siva Hashem is Moshe all the way at the end? Put it all the way at the end and let that be the last thing. Why do you have to say it after every single one you have to say Kashat Siva Hashem is Moshe? What do you need that for? So, the Peshat is, according to this, the Baal Shem Tav says, Lulav, Shofar, Mezuzah, Tefillin, Sitzis, all these mitzvahs, you think you understand the reason why we do them. You think the reason, the reason why we eat matzah on Pesach is because we left really quickly out of Mitzrayim. That's not the real reason. That's not the real reason. God doesn't care like, oh, you were walking outside with some matzah, eat it every year at this time. You got to do that. It's not the real reason why. The real reason why is because the Torah was made 2,000 years before the world was made. Oh, that means 2,000 years. Okay, I don't know. How was there a day before the fourth day when the sun and the moon were created? Good question. And there were 2,000 years beforehand. The Torah was created and the Torah said inside it, you have a mezuzah, you have sitzis, you have Pesach, you have Matzah, you have Marer, you have Sukkah, you have all these things. And even though we weren't in the Midbar yet, even though we never left Mitzrayim yet, they still existed as a mitzvah before the Torah.
Torah before the world ever, cre- ever was created. That's the reasons behind it? You have no clue. So why do you do them? Kasher Tziva Hashem is Moshe. This is what God commanded Moshe. Whenever you do a mitzvah, instead of thinking all the crazy things that there are out there, all the different thoughts that you could have, all you have to think is this is what God wants me to do. That's all you have to think. This is what God wants me to do. We go throughout the partial. When they did this stuff in the Mishkan, they said to the Tzal, what are we supposed to think about? You, you know everything. You know how to connect the Mishkan down here with the Mishkan in Shemayim. How do you connect the two? How do you do that? How are we supposed to become so holy that we only have our thoughts to God? Said Bitzalel, the only thing you think when you make anything or when you give anything to the Mishkan is think, this is what God commanded Moshe. And thus, by every single thing, when they made the Shulchan, it was, they thought to themselves, this is what God commanded Moshe. When they made the Menorah, they said to themselves, this is what God commanded Moshe. By every single one, they had that separate thought. And every person, all they thought was, this is what God wants me to do, this is what God wants me to do, this is what God wants me to do. They only thought that. And thus, says the Balaturim, there are 18 Kasher Tziva Hashem is Moshe's in the Parsha. The 19th is Kasher Tziva Hashem is Moshe Kenasu. Says the Balaturim, it connects to the 18 brachos of Shemona Esrei. The 19th being the addition of Velam al That's Kenasu. We do it, as opposed to the Velam al the evil guys who don't do it, who don't listen to what Moshe Rabbeinu says. That the Pshat is, whenever you dive in your Shemona Esrei, what is the best way to concentrate on the words? What should you do? What, how should you concentrate? Should you think of all the crazy stuff? No! All you think to yourself is, what am I doing the Shemona Esrei for? I'm doing this because God wants me to do this at this time. That's the connection. This is what God wants me to do. This is what God wants me to do. And you concentrate just on what you're reading. Just that. Not anything crazy. Don't go into anything crazy. Just concentrate on that. Everything will be good. Everything will be good. That's the idea of the kind that Kashat Ziva Hashem's motion. Aside from that, Bitzalel was not only all that, not only all that, he's also Lahorus. There's more. The Balaturim says, the notes of the Balaturim says he was Lahorus. Some people have the ability to do certain things, but he ever tried learning from them, like what they're trying to teach. Some teachers are great teachers. Some stink to high heaven. You go inside their class, you go inside their class, and you don't have a clue what he's talking about. He's doing the mathematical equations on the board, and you're sitting there like, "What in the world is he talking about?" Lahorus is that Bitsalo not only had the ability to do it himself, he had the ability to teach it to other people. He was a lot, he was able to go out to other people and tell them what they could do. And by making a mishkan, it's a crazy amount of work. This is how you got to make the menorah. Now you don't have to. Ju- I don't have to do it. Just you do it. Do the following: move your right hand, move your left hand. Now move your right. Do this now. Now do that. And by doing those, by telling them what to do, he wasn't only able to do it himself. He was able to teach them how to do it. He wasn't that guy who said like, "Oh, I wish I was able to tell you how to do it, but it would take me years." That's how good I am. <laughs> he didn't do that. He was able to teach them and tell them exactly what they were supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. And that was much, much better than anything else. But that's the reason why he had to have a haliyah of benachisam. Why do you have to have Ali of Ben Achisala? Ali of is his name. Ali of. My tent is all for a Kaddish Baruch. That Ali of was a very, very great person who gave everything he had to a Kaddish Baruch. That everything I own goes to God. That's what he used to say. Everything I own goes to God. So what's the shot? Ali of Ben Achisamach. The idea behind him was supposed to knock down Betzal. Because Betzal could have had a lot of gaiva. Look at his neshama. He's 13 years old. Look at his job. <laughs> 13 years old he's able to do this. And everybody goes up to him. A Kaddish Baruch almost wanted to 
take them in Shemayim like we said last week? Because Baruch wanted to bring them back to Shemayim and say, I want this Neshama for myself. That's how holy he is. He's the grandson of Hur. He's a tremendous person who only got, only Moshe Rabbeinu can trust. I said, like, okay, you got to make the Aron by yourself because he's the only one that I don't suspect of being able to go toward Avodah Zarah. You'd think that Aliyah ben Achisam, that Betzalah ben Uri ben Hur, would have a little bit of Gaiva. For that, Moshe Rabbeinu added on Aliyah ben Achisam. A guy from Shevet Dun, from the lowest Shevet, to stand over Betzalah at all times and be like, are you sure you're doing that correctly? To which you'd eventually, if you were Betzalah, you'd, you'd either be like, stop it, stop looking over my shoulder, I'm tired of this. Or, Betzalah, what he did was accept it and realize, oh, I'm a nobody. I have to show, not only with other people, Aliyah is just as good as I am. And if I couldn't do it, he would do it. And Aliyah would think this exact same thing. If I can't do it, Betzalah would do it. And each one would be totally on the other, thinking to themselves that they're not the greatest out there, that they're not the greatest out there. And that's the reason why Moshe Rabbeinu was so makhbed on the kior at the end of the parsha. Well, how did they make the kior? The sink that they made for washing their hands. What was it made out of? Mirrors. Mirrors, right? Moshe Rabbeinu got really upset. He said, I don't want to make it out of mirrors. So this is an unbelievable word. Why was Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu so makhbed? So the Panach Raz and the Rabbeinu Ophanim say, the reason why he's so makhbed is because what's with mirrors? What do you do? See yourself. You see yourself. And for sure, that's a famous word is that the woman used to beautify themselves and made themselves come in. The word over here is like this. What did the Kohanim do in front of the mirrors? They washed their hands and their feet, right? But you can't just wash your hands first and then get your feet up there. You have to do your hands and feet together. Now these guys were tremendously athletic. I can't do it. But they would stand up and be able to lift up. They would be able to stand on the balls of their ankles. Stand like that and be able to reach down and touch their toes. Touch their toes while standing on the balls of their ankles while not being able to move. And they washed everything all at once. So their hands and their feet were washed together all at once. Their heels or their ankles? What? Their heels or their ankles? I'm sorry, on the back of their heels. The back of their heels. So they would be able to stand all the way on the, on the balls of the feet right underneath. Like right there. Like the very, very bottom of the foot. They would go right like that. What were they doing? When you're going like that, in front of the kior, you're bowing down. You're bowing down to a mirror in which you're looking at yourself. The Kohanim, who would have the most gaiva out of all of Klal Yisrael, were bowing down in front of their own reflections in the mirror over there. Now, normally a man can never look inside the mirror. So it would be great for the Kohen to look inside the mirror. Look how good, especially the Kohen Gavl. Can you imagine the Kohen Gavl wearing all the priestly vestments, <laughs> the priestly garments, going up in front of that mirror and showing himself in front of there with all the crazy gold and silver and all the stones, the beautiful stones and everything? He'll look at himself and be like, wow, I look good. And now they're bowing down. That's going to look terrible. Moshe Rabbeinu was mamish worried that the Kohanim would lose it, start having some gaiva, and want to worship themselves. And then they're going to go and do the avoda. How can they do that? And that Baruch said, don't worry. Don't worry. Kohanim is reasoning. Kohanim has reasons. You don't have to worry about such things. I said a word in the previous years about them being able to look at them in order for a woman to bring a korban. They have to be, in order for a woman to bring a korban, they give it to the Kohanim, but they have to stand on the outside. But you have to look at the face of the person who brought the korban while you're sacrificing the korban. But you can't look at the face of a woman. You're not allowed to stare at the face of a woman. Especially when you're shucking a korban, you're doing a vote for Hashem to stare at a woman if she's beautiful. It's going to be very, very hard.
hard for you to shuck the korban. You'll do it. This is not going to be the best way. So what they wanted to do instead, so what they did instead, is that they said, look through the mirror. And the cure was not a straight mirror. It was like a funhouse mirror. You know, like going up and whatever. So it made them look all distorted. You know, so they're feeling, you know, so they had like, you know, they would look like, you know, I guess, like parts of their bodies would be really, really thin. And parts of the bodies would be extremely fat. And then it would be very, very thin and then fat again. So it looked really, really disgusting and weird. So that's why what they would look at, they would see it through there and they would still be able to see the face. They could see the person who was getting it. They see it in a distorted fashion. Right, but that's another word. That's not for now. What is for now is we gotta go. So we're gonna stop with that. Have a good job, guys. We're gonna